In this week's episode, Helen chatted with Ladan. She teaches us that your voice matters and you have the knowledge and expertise. It made me think about how I can help others find their voice and why that's an essential part of leadership. Let's listen in. Hello and welcome to Learn to Lead, the podcast where we talk to leaders about how they lead, what they've learned, and what they recommend for our journeys towards becoming better leaders. Today we are joined by Ladan Molid, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Education Coordinator at Western University. Ladan, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. How are you? I am also doing good. I'm looking forward to the winter break coming up. Yeah, um, me too. <laughs> okay, so to start, um, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, your education experiences, and how you came to your current position? Yeah, so I guess for me, I see it as a journey, and I'll start with where it all started from. Um, I went into undergrad. I went, I, I went into undergrad with the intention of majoring in communication studies and sociology with a focus on social inequality to address social inequality through the various mediums of communication. Um, and that, and I graduated from Memorial University in under, for my undergrad. Um, and through that journey, I learned that my medium, my preferred medium of communication was through an educational approach. And so that's how I ended up going into education, specifically higher education, with, um, to focus on equity work and equity education. Um, and, and so that's where my journey started off. I ended up going into my first job, full-time job as an academic advisor. And then, into, and then I decided at that point that I was very solid in that decision. And I was going to go ahead and invest in a master's program that focused on higher education and student affairs. And everything that I did in that master's work towards a career in equity and anti-racism education in higher education. So my graduate assistantships, my volunteer opportunities, um, the leadership opportunities I took on campus. And same thing with my undergrad as well. It's ev everything I did was centered around that as well because that's where my passions laid. Um, and then that brought me into, after I graduated into the private sector doing some EDI education um, and doing a lot of helping with a lot of the recruitment and retention of underrepresented um, graduate, undergraduate students who are going into the workforce. Um, and then to Western doing EDI education as well. And now I've been able to be able to work on that and just continue to build on that by going into my PhD in higher education at Boise. So once again, that focuses as wow. well. As well. <laughs> so um, this is a little bit off trail, but um, what made you decide to pursue your PhD? What role has, I guess, formal education played in, in that journey for you? Yeah, so for me, I know that it's really hard to do this work without knowledge. And as much as I continue to read and learn and stay up to date with best practices and the and all of the research that comes out of this work, I wanted to be able to continue to learn formally, but also contribute to this work as well. So a PhD gives me the opportunity to think about how to write as a researcher and publish as a researcher and contribute to this work, um, it, not just as a practitioner and not through applicability, but also through, through, um, through a theoretical lens and, and, and research lens as well. That's fantastic. I have so many friends who want to be doctors and the classic answer for why is that they want to help people. Um, and you will be a different kind of doctor who is helping people. Hopefully, yes, that's the plan. <laughs> and um, what has leadership looked like for you over your career journey? Um, and what does it mean for you to be a leader? Yeah, leadership has my views on leadership has changed as I've grown. Um, and I would say that it started off well, okay, so if you ask my mom, she'll tell you that I had been headstrong from coming out of the 
working. Um, and so I have always been very headstrong and had said, this is what I believe in. These are my values. And I will make sure that I say that in every room that I'm in, if those come up, right? Or if the conversation comes up. So for me at first leadership looked like um, being vocal, being present, being communicative um, for, for things that I am passionate about and that I value strongly around, especially around equity and, and access and success for specifically students from underrepresented backgrounds um, or equity seeking groups, I should say. And so for me, that's how equity, sorry, that's how leadership that's what leadership looked and sound like to me at the beginning of my journey. But now where I am, I know that leadership isn't just about being the loudest room in the voice. I know leadership can change. I, I now take different approaches of leadership style. So for example, I, I like to lead from behind. I like to empower students to be the leaders in this conference, in their conversations with me. Um, when students are thinking about planning an event or an educational campaign and it's their idea, I lead from behind because I want them to be the voices that are heard at the table. Um, I also think about, especially with leadership, I like to think about as well at what when is the right time to say something because before I used to think as a young person I used to think that every time was the right time to say something <laughs> right and so now I know that I can use my communication strength and my communicative my communicative skills to strategically speak and engage everyone in the conversation as a leader at the right time and in a way that does not take away space or voices from other people as well and what does that look like how do you do that um even in, in leading from behind, do you have any examples of things that people can do and, and what might distinguish leading from in front versus leading from behind? Yeah, so for leading from behind, I'll take a like an example of like an educational campaign that students have in mind. I, if students bring up the idea to me and they and they reach out to me because they think that I'd be a great support person, I, I listen to their idea and I sometimes will give suggestions and advice on some of the oversights or the logistical pieces that they may not be aware of, just so that they have a big picture of how to make that sure that they can roll out their campaign or their program or their idea and bring it to life. And then I'll ask, how can I help? So mm -hmm. uh, usually what happens, so my advising and suggestions helps lead from behind in the sense that I'm not taking over, I'm not overshadowing their ideas, and I'm also not uh, uh, directing the conversation or leading the conversation. I'm letting them lead. I'm just giving insight and ideas and using my strengths um, and my awareness and my knowledge as well to help fill in the gaps because I always say that it takes community. Uh, leadership is based on community. We all have strength and if we help each other, complement each other with our strength, we can reach the goals that we have in mind. So that's the approach that I take for leading from behind and then eventually ask how can I help what role do you want me to play? What can I do? Um, what resources can I offer? What support can I offer? That way they know that they're leading the direction and the conversation and the, the program that they have in mind, for example, and I'm just supporting. And what are some benefits would you say um, or the advantages to leading from behind versus maybe a more traditional leadership approach where the leader is the one who um, sets, the, sets the course and delegates and tells people what to do? Yeah, so the advantages that I find in leading from behind is that it helps us really and truly engage in advocacy skills and advocacy advocacy work, I should say. Um, what I mean by that is oftentimes when we think about advocacy, we think about advocating for others and advocating on behalf of others. But I'm a really big fan of empowering others to self-advocate. So what that means is that letting them know that you have the power and the voice to be the one that leads this conversation, even if you're not the most senior person in the room, because you have the knowledge and the strengths or the expertise on this specific topic. But you also know that you have my support and you have my, and you have me cheering you on from the sidelines, but also right behind, rallying up behind you um, to, to support you and to have your back if you do fall down um, and to help pick up the, any pick up, sorry, to help 
pick up any pieces that you drop along the way as well. So it helps support anybody who is really um, trying to figure out how to better self-advocate. It gives them the strengths and the skills that they need to be able to self-advocate while knowing that they have the safety net of a person um, to be able to support them and uplift them and, and help pick up the pieces that they drop along the way in anything that they take on. And it gives the opportunity for everybody to practice leadership. Um, and it doesn't just leave the leadership work to the senior leaders in the room. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds A, very empowering and B, it develops other leaders too. Um which is a very humble form of leadership because you give credit to others and you raise up other leaders. That is the goal, lift as we climb. I like that. Um, so what would you say are your strengths as a leader? Um, you've already told me a bit about your leadership style, um, but are there any skills um, or just personality traits that you have found come into your leadership style most strongly? Yeah. So. I would say I haven't done any of the Gallup strengths tests, but I do know that I am a strong communicator. Um, and I would say that I also am empathetic. And so I think that those two things combined or those two strengths combined is what I typically lean into a lot. Um, my I speak multiple languages from a communications perspective, but also- what languages do you speak? I speak Somali, I speak Arabic, and I speak English. <laughs> wow, that's very neat. Yeah, so that's been very helpful from like a from a perspective of trying to support other communities as well. Um, but more so, I also like to use I know with my communication skills, I'm not afraid to speak up when necessary. So I been able to lean into that and tap into that over and over again. Um, and also know that I'm confident in my speaking skills and my communication skills, whether it's through writing or through um, oral communication. So I've been able to lean into that. But I do know I also have obviously areas of improvement like many people. So what I like to do is like I said, it takes community sorry community leadership is rooted in community so I lean into my peers my colleagues um, to be able to tap into their strengths that happen to be my areas of improvement to learn from them so I can build on those areas as well and has your experience with um, working with diversity and equity and inclusion informed um, how you look at those different strengths and how you bring them in to your work yeah, so I like to think about, for example, from an equity perspective, how do I decolonize the language that I'm using, the communication methods that I'm using to include everybody in the conversation, because I recognize that I've obviously growing up in Canada, being born and raised in Canada, I've been indoctrinated just like everybody else, right? Through our agents of socialization and our and our education systems. So my norm and my baseline has always been the Eurocentric standard of communication. But through equity work, I've had to learn to unlearn that first and then relearn how to I approach my communication style, for example, through a, de, uh, through a decolonized lens. So what languages am I using, for example? Um, the second piece is also when I'm communicating, am I expecting everybody to be able to speak to me in a certain in a in a certain manner um even code switching is a big part of that conversation especially when speaking to people from um backgrounds from racialized backgrounds knowing that i can give them the space to be able to communicate and advocate as a leader without feeling that they like they have to code switch um is a huge and important piece of that conversation as well and can you explain briefly just what decolonizing um and what code switching is for anyone who's unfamiliar Absolutely, that's a great question. So I'll start with decolonizing. Um, to decolonize something is to recognize that that it's it's been rooted in colonial 
white settler um, fundamentals or values. And so to take to decolonize that is to be able to unpack it and to take it back to a non-colonial method. So we know that this land and that land that we're on, that we're occupants of is obviously, it obviously belongs to Indigenous communities and we need to acknowledge that a lot more. Um, and so what we're doing is that we need to be able to acknowledge everything that we've learned and everything that we engage in is oftentimes rooted in the colonial methods and practices that were used and employed as well to take this land away from Indigenous communities. So how can we continue to unpack um, our what we do and the, and the practices that we use to shift away from European or Eurocentric or colonial methods and practices? Um, for code switching, on the other hand, code switching, the ex so I don't have the exact definition off the top of my head, but if I had to explain code switching, because I engage in it all the time, is to say that it's when an individual feels like they have to change who they are or how they present themselves or how they talk to other people to be able to fit into what we call mainstream or Eurocentric standards of society. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, when I cook, this is not the way I normally speak with my family. I use a lot more slang, for example, I'll use a lot more colloquial terms, but in a professional setting, um, we are expected to speak this way because it's the standard of professionalism or even straightening our hair, for example. The standard professionalism is that you show up with, um, looking neat and tidy with a suit on, but we know that that's colonial, but we also know that that's Eurocentric and the standards of beauty and professionalism have also been rooted in Eurocentric standards. So how do we shift away from that and give people the space to show up with their full authentic identities and their full mm -hmm. authentic selves as well, um, whether it's through the way they speak or the way they dress or the way they engage in conversations um, without being able to, without telling them that they need to change or adapt to what we've normalized. Mm. That is great to know. My only um, exposure to the word code switching has been through bilingual psychology, which is when people switch back and forth between different languages, but on a more like macrocosm spectrum of actually switching um, how we how we adapt and how we behave, that's, that's something really important to be aware of. Um, so thanks for explaining that. No I, was say, I didn't know that um, they teach this in psychology. And that's something I learned right now too, because my exposure to code switching has been through the um, cultural the cultural understanding of code switching. So the way we dress, the way we look, the way we speak, um, and not necessarily through like different languages, but rather how we code switch within English itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's really neat. Um, and can you tell us um, what some of the most impactful lessons are that you've learned about leadership during all of your experiences? Yeah, um, <laughs> I've learned a lot. I think the one lesson that I've learned and that was the hardest lesson for me, but was eye-opening was that I don't have to be the face of every cause is what I've learned. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, we know that there's always going to be a lot of work to be done in the aspect of equity um, and in the in equity work in general, but you don't have to be the face of every cause is what I've learned. And what that meant is that I didn't have to be the leader at the forefront um, addressing everything initiating every meeting, um, a, a take, leading every project, because it leads to burnout, it leads to fatigue, right? Um, but also secondly, you also don't wanna be the only voice that everybody hears because you're taking away from other voices and mm -hmm. other experts and other leaders, and you're also not help, helping to develop other leaders as well. So what that, and to me, that was a hard lesson because I spent probably four years of high school constantly <laughs> telling everybody in my family, you need to care about the environment, you need to care about recycling, you need to care about X, Y, and Z. Um, and so knowing that I was always the face of every cause at home, um, but then going into the in the world, into undergrad, into grad school, and learning that was a huge shift in personality, but also style, um, leadership style as well. And 
I really appreciated that lesson because now I'm able to be in a position where I can help develop other leaders, lift as we climb, also helps others self-advocate for themselves and help others be the faces of other causes, um, as, sorry, of many other causes. So it's not just me doing the work and it also helps me encourage myself to be able to, to engage in self well-being as well and taking care of myself and taking breaks. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that's really informed your leadership style in leading from behind then also. Yes, definitely has. Yeah. All right. Well, um, my last question for you is, um, do you have any advice for students looking to develop their leadership character and skills? What would your words of wisdom to us be? I would say to tap into your community. Um, and when I, and I say this because first, actually, I'll take it back a little bit. I'll say, I'll take it back a notch, I should say. I'll say that you should start by first identifying your strengths and identifying your areas of improvement and then tapping into your community, whether that's your peers, your colleagues, your family, um, literally your neighbors, um, the organization that you're involved in, connect with the people that you are that you engage that you communicate with and that you're connected with and learn about their strengths and, and learn to be able to build on your areas of improvement by learning from their strength. And also know that sometimes an area of strength or two may be very difficult to build on, but that's okay. That's why you have community. So, and it's a collective effort. So let's say that for example, you, or you're struggling to build on one area, one area of improvement or one, um, what you can do is know that you can tap in, to, sorry, connect with a peer or a colleague to help you with those areas as you take on a project that requires that strength, for example, or that skill set, for example. So you're not only learning at, throughout the, like throughout experiences and you're learning from others as well, but you're also being able to recognize that you're going to have to need community at some point for anything that you do, because at that point, you're also helping others build on their leadership skills as well. Thank you to Ladan Molit for talking with us today. This was our last interview of a Western staff member. Join us next week for the season finale of the Learn to Lead podcast. 